record a podcast. Let's record a podcast because it is so lonely in this room. Hello, welcome to episode six of The Worst Idea of All Time with me, Tim Bat. And myself, Guy Montgomery. And just to, to start you off this week, guys, I'd like to take a leaf out of Ario Speedwagon's book. Uh, they, of course, are the, the band you've just heard. And I encourage you to, to live every moment, love every day, something, something before your precious time slips away. And I, I couldn't think of a better way to live every moment than listen to us uh, rehash our sixth viewing of Grown Ups 2. This is the beautiful irony of the podcast, folks. The worst thing you could do is watch the movie yourself, and the best thing you can do is listen to us talk about the movie we've just watched. That's right. Doesn't really make any sense, but uh, we're going to make it work. We took notes again this week. It's been a while since we've done that. Yep, we got off the note-taking track, and we're back on that track. It's funny. If you look at my book here, Tim, you'll see it starts off reasonably sort of organised. There's even mm. little crosses to denote the start of a new thought. And then You've got just, like a hierarchical structure of ideas and where there's trees. And then it just devolves as the movie mm. goes on. You've just written Tamer. absolute chaos. And huge letters. And then it just comes out as scrawl at the back. Right. I stopped about 45 minutes in. I just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, I too have taken some notes. Uh, let's wade in, shall we? Guy? Uh... Well, well, what I wanted to do today was sort of just hammer out for myself just the markers, just the points in the movie when I go, all right, great, I know where we are now, just so I can gauge where I'm at. And uh, I thought it would be really easy, but it's it's all just depressing dross pretty much until the dinner table scene. Like there's a few moments when, like the, there's the football scene when Adam Sandler's... The dinner table scene, that's really far into the movie. I know. So I thought I'd come up with markers before then, but I yeah. just... I just, I just couldn't. I was just like, this is just sh- shit. We speculated a lot during the film today about what we could take out, mm. and you could. Oh yeah, if, no, yeah. By which you mean, if we were to edit the film, what you could remove from it, what would be left on the cutting room floor, and it would be a lot. It would be pretty much everything before the dinner party scene. Yeah, you don't need all that context to understand what happens at the party after the dinner. It's not a dinner party, is it? It's just dinner time. Fuck, man. It's already gone bad. This podcast's already gone <laughs> off the rails. It's tanking. Mm. It's uh, it's interesting when you get to your sixth watch of a movie because you just, yeah, very early on you get all depressed and uh, it's all darkness. Hey, I'll tell you what I did do, Guy. Well, wait, do you want to talk about these checkpoints anymore? Nope. Or? Okay, nope. Let's move forward. Abandon that. Something that people have expressed a little bit of an interest in is the Hollywood accounting Yes. Uh, which is, uh, I went and Googled it and I found out that that's the term given to this strange accounting practice that's often applied to films and film franchises. And uh, I've found out a few things. Um, Adam Sandler's name, very commonly associated with the practice. He yeah. was actually, uh, last year, Forbes did an article in December at the end of the year and named Adam Sandler as the number one most overpaid actor in the world. So that's looking at how much he earns versus how much his films earn. That dude is associated with rotting the bloody system. And it's shocking. Can you expand a little on this, Tim? I feel like every episode we're going deeper and deeper down the conspiracy theory path. It's not a conspiracy theory. What Hollywood accounting is is the um, pseudo-legal and definitely unethical way that you count whether a film is profitable or not in Hollywood. Because if it is not profitable on the books, like according to the books, then you don't have to pay people like the writers very much because usually their percentage is based on net, which means once you take away all the... Turn your bloody phone... Oh, is it... It's my mum calling us. I'll pick it up, eh? Pick it up. 
Hi, Mum. Hello? You sound, sound rather long. Where are you? I'm just recording a podcast. Oh, right, okay. Well, I might leave you in peace and you can ring me back then. It sounds like a great, great option. What did you want to talk about? Uh, I wanted to see if you were in town on Sunday week. I'm going to come up on Sunday week and stay the night in Auckland then catch the train to Wellington with Miranda. Sounds like a bloody good time. Uh, hold on, I'll just look. Oh, I might, um, I think I'm doing the 48 hour film festival. I'll call you back. This is very unprofessional. Okay, bye bye. I love you. I love you, bye. <laughs> she loves me. <laughs> so, little back, candid moment for you there. Back to Hollywood accounting. Um, Return of the Jedi, for example, despite having earned $475 million at the box office against a budget of $32 million and a half, has never gone into profit. That's how shady this practice is. So it cost $32 million to make, it made $475 million, yet according to the books, it has never made a profit. I don't understand. So they do things like um, when you're doing the expenses on a movie... Everything's just based on percentages, and usually things like marketing are just ten percent, and it has no bearing on how much you actually spend on marketing. You but just that's say just money yep, written 10%. off as marketing, and yeah. so that's not profit; that's an expense. Exactly. There's also shell companies that you can form under the movie, like form a really expensive catering company to just draw funds out of it, so you funnel them out to some somewhere else that you can. This grab. all sounds incredibly illegal. Um, well, it's pretty legal. Like, it's been going on for many, many years, and it's basically, it's very prevalent in Hollywood. Spider-Man 2, a hugely uh, popular and uh, well-doing movie. It was a box office smash, and Stan Lee never got paid because his uh, his cut was based on percentages, and he ended up taking, I think, Sony to court over it. And did he win? Um, I don't know. Who cares? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> I'm just giving some background to Hollywood accounting, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly something that we should dig into a little deeper every week. You can't give me too much information at one time because I won't understand what's happening. I can't wrap my brain around it. That's but. fine. Hey, you know what else I found out? Oh, yeah. This no, is just from the watch. It's not about accounting. Um, uh, we're taking a very big sideways step here. I reckon Adam Sandler's very insecure about his penis. Okay. I didn't pick up any of that in the film today. I'll tell you why I did. So that scene where they're at the quarry and they're made to jump over Suicide 35 with no clothes on, which yeah. is the jump, uh, and then his son sees his, his dick, dick and it's like the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So that was a clue. And also the bit where the deer is, is tearing through the house and uh, the son is naked in the shower and that's a big deal. There's a lot of references to Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler's family's dick. Look, this is definitely you losing it a little bit here, Tim. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how to rebut this. This is probably one of your worst theories that you've had so far. 
First of all, he can't be self-conscious because he makes a, he makes the jokes at the expense of his penis about jumping off suicide thirty-five. You know, like he wrote the movie. He wrote the line for his son saying, "I just saw my dad's dick." Yeah. Secondly, they're joking about masturbating around the bloody table with this the the same son. It's a weird. That's, bit of the movie, that's yeah. like that's that's nothing to do with an ugly or gross. That's just like it's uncomfortable to talk about whacking off over the hot girl in school with your dad in front of your mum. Come yeah, on, all right. Fair, fair there's, play. there's no there's no meat on this on this theory. What else have you got? What else have you been cooking up over there? Um, my other theory is that. Uh, Brayden, Brayden. Gonna, it's going to sound silly now. <laughs> My theory is that Higgins' son is a warlock. David Spade, who's Higgins. So Brayden is the sort of thug guy who comes into the movie from Florida. Yeah. He's overgrown. He's violent. He's mm. monosyllabic. Yeah. Why is he a warlock? Because <laughs> there's a couple bits that just kind of allude to the fact that he's got a slightly mystical, you know, like a supernatural side to himself. I'll, <laughs> I'll fill you in on the blanks. Number one, he is um, David Spade's son, and yet he's absolutely massive. That was the first thing that pipped my interest to the warlock theory. But that is that can be explained away with the plot because you look at David Spade's love interest in the movie. In this, she's much bigger than he is. She's a bodybuilder of sorts. Oh yeah, maybe that's, maybe maybe Higgins has got uh, an attraction to bodybuilders, and so the mother of this child is also big. All right, fair enough. But explain this to me then, Guy Montgomery. When they're in the quarry and he comes up and sees that uh, David Spade is not at the soup kitchen, which he assured him that he was at, and why why he couldn't take him to school, etc., yeah. whatever the fuck it was, uh, he emerges from the water and on his hand, in pen, is written... Wait, what is written? Soup kitchen? I believe the words are soup kitchen. Fuck, I thought I wrote that down. But anyway, he's written it on his arm that uh, basically the soup kitchen was a lie. How, at what point did he have the time or opportunity to do that or, while he was or on the waterproof water? Pen. We saw him take his clothes off before he jumped in. Uh, no, look, I mean... And then, and then at the end of that, he emerges, like he, he goes back down into the water, just disappearing out of shot, which really alludes to the fact that he like lives underwater. <laughs> There's another bit as well. When he destroys the frat house to the extent where there's like spray paint everywhere, like all over these really tall walls, there's teepee thrown around. He had no opportunity to be able to do that. There wasn't enough time Look, I that think, passed. Do you know, you, you, you're properly losing it now, Tim, because all of this stuff can just be explained away as lousy script writing and lazy editing. This is, there's no way they made some like secretly supernatural character and planned him in the middle of the movie. It's just, it's just a shit movie. It's just shit script writing. But what if it's not? Well, I was actually interested in Brayden in this screening for a different reason. I was trying to figure out whether or not he might be autistic because he never really says any fully formed sentences. Mm. The first thing he says, he walks up, he's got the piece of paper, he says to David Spade, you're him, which makes sense, but it's, it's very monosyllabic. Uh, and then David Spade says, all right, we've got to get you to school. And his response is, no school, summertime. <laughs> And then it goes on. I've got other stuff. He, he he goes to the school. That's the next time he, you know. He, the yeah. next time we see him, he's in the classroom. Yes. And he gets told to go and find a seat. And he just walks up to a redheaded kid mm. who offers him his wallet. Like yeah. he's going to take my wallet. And yeah. then he says, "No, I sit here." Like yeah, it's all that, that, very that, primitive. It doesn't mean he's autistic. And that he goes, just means he's. What if we do something we're not supposed to? And then 
He goes, you lied about the, when he's in the police car. He goes, you lied about the soup. You lied about the soup. I think, I don't know. I think between our two theories, we can figure out that we're definitely watching this movie too much because neither of us are coming up with anything no, good here. It's, so it's just a shit movie character. Look at how much we're reading into it. I want to talk about... What's that? You got an email or something? I don't know what that was. Um, I want to talk about uh, John Lovitz, who's someone who's come up in the podcast a lot because there was uh, a line that I love that we haven't mentioned in the podcast that he says where he is taking, he has gotten there early before the um, yoga-ish, the aerobics Squat aerobics. Ro- squat aerobics instructor uh, appears. So he's the janitor. John Lovett says he comes up and he starts taking the class for his own sexual gratification and demanding that these women do things like bend over to expose their their buttocks to him yeah, yeah. and uh, jiggle their breasts around for his amusement. Yeah. And uh, the line that he says when the real instructor comes along and basically calls him out, John, John Lovett says, say it's true even if it isn't. Yeah. Like keep this lie going. He doesn't say something like, uh, help me out here, or I've got a thing going. He said, he just there's something about say it's true, even if it isn't. Well, I think that's when the movie can be fun. Is when it sort of plays on its own absurdity, its and, own and stupidness, you, its own stupidness, exactly. And that is a that is an inherently stupid and accordingly very funny line. Yeah. So I I love that line. I'm sure we've talked about that before. No, I don't think we've talked about that line specifically because um, we've gotten distracted with other John Lovett's fantastic moments. Yeah. Uh, hey, just, yeah. can I talk about something real quick? We got a tweet. No, we got a Facebook. We've got a Facebook group now. Join up to that. Uh, we're idea of all time. And someone said we should hone in on some things, which we definitely haven't done this week, as you can tell from Look, our scattered I think, shotgun approach. I think I love that idea, and that was where I got my motivation to try and find these marker points at the start of the movie. But honestly, your brain starts melting out of your ears while the while it's playing, and it just becomes really hard to sort of control yourself essentially i spent my challenge for this movie was i i put my phone on flight mode and threw it on the couch across the room and i was fine for the first sort of 40 minutes and mm. then you could see me battling yeah. with myself I, yeah. to not pick up the phone just to focus on the movie and it just becomes impossible to i don't know i guess we could try harder i wrote a poem yeah yep lay it on me Call, do, it, do it like you're doing it in speech and drama. So say the title by Tim Bat and then do oh, it. Oh, it doesn't have a title. Make up a title now. Um, beautiful by Tim Bat. Gorgeous, blonde, flowing. Shiny like a Ferrari. It's David Spade's hair. Because <laughs> the person who requested we hone in on stuff suggested that we might want to talk about um, the haircuts in the film. Yeah. So that's just my little uh, tip of the hat to you. Thanks to Kat, who recommended that we yeah, hone no, in on the hair. Yeah, that was very cute. Uh, just while while we are here, I got two things. I got one thing I like to talk about. How long? How long we got? Another ten minutes. Ten minutes. All right. First of all, uh, is Steve Steve Buscemi? Yes. Now Steve Buscemi has got some of the most telegraphed gags in this whole flick. Every appearance that he makes is a fucking nightmare. And uh, and it's sort of it's it's got me wondering because Steve Buscemi is I think we've we've touched on earlier he shows up in nearly every Adam Sandler movie, Billy Madison he was like the weird guy who he bullied in high school and he puts lipstick on like mm-hmm. that was a funny cameo, he was in Mr Deeds I think he was in Big Daddy as Crazy Eyes, um oh no he was Crazy Eyes in Mr Deeds oh, I've seen a lot of Adam Sandler movies, 
Anyway, uh, and, and they're getting worse. And I'm wondering why, first of all, I'm saying that Adam Sandler movies are getting worse. Yeah. So is the Steve Buscemi cameos. And yeah, why is like the, each by magnitude yeah. individually. Like the movies are getting worse, but his appearances are getting even worse that, still. Relatively speaking to the movies. What I'm wondering is why? What dirt does Adam Sandler have on Steve Buscemi that warrants his continued appearances in these Awful films because Steve Buscemi, he's established himself. He's put his hand up as a pretty decent character actor now. Maybe something even more, a leading man. You look at Boardwalk Empire, you know, and you look at his other films, he's not touching any of this sort of low hanging fruit comedy. Conair comes to mind. He was fabulous in Conair. I wanted to do Conair every week instead of this. Yeah, that was our first idea for a film, but we decided it was too good. Too yeah. good a film. There's not enough suffering in watching Conair every week. Um,. I mean, now, do you th- is there any, because you, you, you're a man who likes to hook into a conspiracy theory. Is there anything in this? Do you think Adam Sandler has some oh, dirt yeah. on Bushimi? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just trying to figure out what it is. Like, you know that Bushimi is a volunteer firefighter, eh? No, that's he's, awesome. He's part of the um, the New York, I think still, like, fire department. And uh, at 9-11, despite the fact that by this stage he was a very established actor, he went in there. He was part of the, um, maybe not the first responders, but he was part of the crew who I went see. and sorted that out. So I feel like he might, because he's sort of, that would suggest he's got some sort of pillar of the community type vibe. Yeah. And often it's these people who, who sort of look like they're on a pedestal Long to, way to, to, fall. to society and communities. They've got some real dirty stuff. They've swept under the carpet. Um, we could take another tack with this because I think Steve Buscemi has proved himself to be a pretty fantastic human and a great guy. Maybe Adam Sandler knows about a medical condition and he knows about it through doing the films with him because he needed to cover the insurance for him while he was working uh, that would prevent him from getting back in the fire department and the fire department don't know about it. What about that? It's it's convoluted. I mean, it's it's not bad. There's definitely something going on here, though, because, um, and once again, can't stress enough, don't see the movie, but Steve Buscemi, every time he appears on screen, you, you just want to scream at him, get out of there, man, yeah, get out that, of there. It's, it's too late for the big, the big dogs, but it's not too late for you. Speaking of this, uh, I've spent a lot of time today watching the extras, so not watching what's happening at the front of the shop, but in the sort of depth field out the back. Mm-hmm. Awful, awful yeah. acting. Yeah. Much worse than the actual acting is the extras acting. It's just, it's just a whole lot of people sucking. The fight scene. You've got to try, eh? Because you know, like one of these takes is going to make it to the film. So you you got yeah. to try extras. And that, that fight scene is a good example yeah. of this. There was a bit that I put. Actually, today was the first day where we've started rewinding and going back because every other day we've been like. We can't make this it. last yeah. a second longer than. But now we're kind of relishing in the. the, the cracks, a few, yeah, the there are a few, the a few sort of Chris Rock acting moments, which we sort of earmarked as, as being low points for the film. Oh, shit, I had another thing I want to talk about, but it's gone. What were we talking about? The extras. The extras, the terrible fight scene, that bit where the. Uh, there's two extras in particular in one part of the film where they're not landing punches on each other and it's painfully apparent. Oh, God, Were no. you going to talk about the terribly choreographed fight scene between, uh, what's his name, no. Kyle, the instructor, and... Uh, nah, man. It's all it's whatever it was, it, it's gone. It's gone. I mean, should we get into our shining light? Oh, yeah, sure. Do you want to go first? Yep. So the shining light is the part of the movie um, that we enjoyed, because a lot of this podcast today and forevermore will be how much we hate this film, so we've it got to pick bits that we the, like. The shining light in the 
sort of horrible, cavernous abyss in which we reside for two to three hours every Monday. My shining light today, Tim, mm-hmm. was, uh, it was a moment brought to us by Chris Rock. So his daughter's about to go on a date with Bumpty, who's the son of Tim Meadows. He's sort of this gawky kind of rapping kid at the school. And uh, they're at the dinner table, and Chris Rock goes, he's just told his daughter she's got permission to go on a date with this guy, Bumpty. And he goes to the door, here's the doorbell ring, he goes to the door, he's holding a big picture, picture of Pepsi. And uh, Bumpty says, what's up, player? I'm here for your daughter. And Chris Rock just takes like two litres of Pepsi and just throws it in his face. And, uh, and it's, it made me laugh today, and that was my shining light moment. It's his delivery of that line, that, that kid. It's, it's such a, that's such a full-on thing to say to the father of someone yeah. you're trying to date. What's up, player? I'm, I'm here, here for, for your, your daughter. daughter. Okay. My shining light today is um, uh, Adam Sandler's son. It's alluded to uh, quite a few times in the movie. For some reason, they keep coming back to it because it's such comedy gold uh, that he masturbates in the shower. Uh, that's When is that not funny, you know, talking about your son masturbating in the shower? So the way that he tries to hide this, and I think it's Greg, right, who's masturbating. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the names. It's not Keith. Oh, yeah, no, Keith's the younger one. Yeah, it's Greg. It's Greg. So uh, Greg, at the very start of the film, in the infamous deer sequence, which we've talked about ad nauseum in the past, gets pissed on by a deer who catches him in the shower. There is a back-and-forth exchange uh, later on that day in the driveway. before they're going to school in which uh, Adam Sandler says... Oh no! His other, his one of the kids, the other brother. I was says, conditioned. You take a long. He, he says you're taking a long time in the shower, alluding to the fact that he's masturbating. He's saying, in his defence, he goes, "All I'm doing is conditioning my hair. That's what I'm doing in the shower." Yeah, and then Adam Sandler says, "That's not what the deer told me." Yes, and then my shining light moment is, uh, Adam Sandler's son says, "That deer is a liar." <laughs> and you, and this is where we're at now, everybody. I mean, it's not a bad line. Uh, Tim? Hey, you know what else was a shining moment like fucking thing for me? I think Shaquille O'Neal's pretty good in this movie. Wow. That's that's a whole can of worms for next week. No, Shaquille O'Neal's good in this movie, man. He's funny. And he's got those big hands. Cracks <laughs> me up. That's the only thing that you said in, during the movie. You said... Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal's big hands crack me up. At no point do you say, oh, I like Shaquille O'Neal on that bit. The only time you comment on like him, him is you like his hands. I don't need to like him. He just needs to have something funny, and it turns out his hands are goddamn massive. That's funny. <laughs> it's not funny. I've written down, I don't know what this note means, most depressing Kevin James man bit? Oh, no, we were saying that Kevin James's character, we see we didn't talk about this today, but we are saying Kevin James's character is probably the most deplorable in the whole movie. Oh. So most depressing is probably Kevin Kevin James' interaction with his family. What's He's a terrible is- parent. Like there's a scene where his son's eating from a tub of butter, <laughs> and the son looks up and says, "This is the best vanilla pudding I've ever eaten." And Kevin James, without even looking up, just downcast, staring at his plate, goes, "That's not pudding, son. That's butter." Doesn't, but he doesn't do doesn't anything to stop, stop him. him. The kid's like five. Just just lets him keep eating butter. Obviously, worrying his son to to piss away his life and die. I want to mention this as well. The least skillful part of storytelling in this movie is that they briefly introduce a thread and immediately kill it, whereby Adam Sandler's son turns out is an incredible kicker in football. 
Like he's making these goals from miles mm. away. These drop kicks are perfect. He's right between the pins. And um, so it gets revealed. There's a, a sweeping crescendo of orchestral music that comes up. Uh, the people who are in the proper football team at the high school start gathering around and paying attention. And then Adam Sandler promptly falls onto him and breaks, breaks his leg. leg. All of this happens within about 40 seconds. So they immediately set this thing up that Keithy's going to be this uh, all-star football player and then destroy the dream. And it doesn't lead to anything. No, it's just, a, it's yeah, it's... It's oh, like this so is, many bits that, of the film where it's like, well, well then why? It's set well, up then for a big gag, here? and then the, there's no payoff in the gag, and the gag doesn't further the plot. It doesn't it's just contribute like, it's to just the story. Filler. It's just filler. It's like it's mega fucked, man. They keep doing it. It's like the deer bit at the start. It's not even referenced later. It's in like the, movie. the raft and Kmart, and then riding into the. It's like everything in this movie. Nothing contributes Tim, to anything we're, else. We're not. We're hole. not being positive right now, Tim. I don't need to be positive. This movie is fucking terrible, and I'm gonna have to watch it another presumably forty-six well, times. Here's a thought, though. Four weeks from now. Mm. We'll be a fifth of almost a fifth of the way through. Yeah, and I'm rewarding us because I have said that when we get to number ten, we're allowed to start forming the uh, worst idea in the world uh, of all time slash grown ups to drinking game. Because I think by that stage we'll know the movie so well that we'll be able to set rules off the top of our head on where we should be drinking through the film. Okay. Are you excited about that? I'm fucking pumped. No, I'm not. I'm yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty. I'm. I'm pretty excited. I'm just real stoked that this is over for the week. Thanks for listening. Very negative. I'm excited about drinking in four episodes time. I hope you join me. Please click on the Facebook group and give that a little joiny yeah, lucky thing. All feedback and suggestions welcome. If you have watched the movie, please write a review. Send it into us. We will read it out. We will discuss your opinions. Uh, it's getting it's getting dire in here. It's getting real dire in here. And a tease for next week, we track down a very minor actor in this film whose face you don't see, uh, and we've tweeted her on Twitter. We're hoping to get a hit back. Um, she's in a fantastic bit of the movie where she gets slammed in the back of the head with an ice cream scoop. We'll bring you the updates as soon as they happen. I'm Guy Montgomery. And I'm Tim Back. Live every moment.